Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, Crosspoint, and welcome. Good to see you all who are in the house this morning, and of course, hello to everyone who's joining us online as well. We're glad to see you, and I'm so glad to see you all. Uh, hey, if you got a Bible this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3 together. So whether your preference is paper or digital, I encourage you to turn there right now. Uh, as well, just want to let you know, we have sermon notes that are available for you. Because of COVID, we're not uh, sending them out in paper version, but uh, we do have them online, thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes, or you can check out Realm. They're there as well. Again, thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes. We have them in word form or PDF form for your listening pleasure. Hey, before I dive into the message, uh, I just want to take a moment and I want to do a quick reminder that we are just one week away from our annual general meeting, which we will be hosting here on site next Sunday at 4 o'clock p.m. We're also going to be, uh, have Zoom option available for you so that you can connect and vote via Zoom if you're a member. Uh, also, this also means that we are one week away from completing our Planting the Gospel campaign. Now, you, you may have been away for summer. You may not have heard about this, but let me just give you a really quick background. Uh, our goal in this campaign is to, to pay off the remainder of our loan for the district. Two years ago, uh, we took out a loan from the district uh, in order to be able to do renovations on this facility. And a number of you pledged towards this, and you said, yeah, I'm going to pledge, and I'm going to commit to giving this much. So if you're a pledger, let me just encourage you uh, to try and complete your pledge uh, uh, if you can in the next week. If it's going to take a little bit longer, that's fine. We get that. Uh, but I want to encourage you to do that. Um, and if you've never pledged, but you're saying, hey, I still want to contribute, can I? Absolutely. You can always designate to the capital fund and, and do that. But our goal is to pay off this debt because we want to be debt-free so we can move forward with continuing to plant the gospel in Northeast Edmonton. And let me just say, Crosspoint, we are so close. We are so close. So I know next Sunday, this is going to be a time of great celebration, and we're looking forward to that. If you want more information about this, uh, go to Realm or check us out on YouTube. Check out another channel there and uh, look for Planting the Gospel. you get all the information you need. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to do that this morning because I'm assuming we already know. Okay, today... We are continuing our teaching series on discipleship. And as I mentioned last week, this is a series about spiritual formation. It's a series about us being formed into the image of Jesus. And it is being framed around Crosspoint's five marks of a disciple. So these are the five biblical characteristics of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be focusing on the second mark, which is pursuit. What is pursuit? Well, let me give you an official definition. Pursuit means to seek to know Christ personally through spiritual practices and corporate worship. Uh, see, here's the thing about discipleship. The journey of discipleship, as, as most of us know, it is a relationship. So when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, he invites us into a personal relationship with him where we are known by God and we can come to know God. And in, on this journey, in order to pursue Jesus, we practice spiritual practices like reading the Bible, like uh, prayer, like biblical meditation, like fasting, and as well, corporate practices, which include things like this morning, which is public worship. So a disciple is someone who seeks to know Christ. A, somebody who's somebody who, a disciple is somebody who pursues Christ. 
Now, this morning, I'm just going to focus in on one very particular aspect of pursuit, and that aspect is hearing God. Uh, Let me start with the story. Uh, About a month ago, I went on a camping trip with Karen. We went hiking in the mountains. Uh, On the way back from the camping trip, I realized that I was starting to get an ear infection. Uh, Not fun. So I went to the doctor for antibiotics, but by the time I got there, it was too late. This thing had already set in, and so I went through two days of misery. I mean, it was like stabbing a knitting needle into the side of my head. Like one night, I got like a half an hour of sleep. It was just awful, awful. Uh, But here's the thing. After the infection cleared, I could barely hear anything out of, out of my right ear. As a matter of fact, today I'm still just recovering just a little bit. And the reason why was because of guck. I, I had this, this delicious pile of stuff that had started to form in my ear and was blocking my hearing. And it's since pretty much been rectified, but uh, I'll save you the details, spare you the details. Unless, of course, we go for lunch and you order guacamole, then it's game on. I'm going to tell you all about it. Okay, here's what I learned. You don't realize how important something is until it's taken away from you. Losing your ability to hear can be like debilitating. I mean, it is super disruptive to relationships. And even more so because we're, we're all wearing face masks. You don't realize how much you actually lip read as a person. And the person talking to you doesn't realize how quiet they're talking because there's this barrier between them and you. So, I, I mean, I was like... I don't know, I was like this 80-year-old guy who forgot to turn up his hearing aids. Like, I was always like, huh? What? Huh? You know, I'd go to a restaurant, I'd talk to the waitress, and she'd start talking to me really, really, really soft, and I couldn't hear it, so I'm like leaning in, trying to hear, and of course, I'm always sitting with the servers on my right side rather than my left. So, so Karen and I would go out for walks together. Here's the thing. we go out for walks together, and we'd be walking along, and if she's on my right side, I couldn't hear her. So I'm like, honey, you need to come over here so you can talk to me, right? And then if I was mad at her or I just, you know, really wanted to be alone, I'd make her walk on the right side and get along with her. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. She's got the voice of an angel. Now, most of us realize how, how important it is to hear from God. I mean, think about it. What, what, if, what if the creator of the universe wanted to speak to you? I mean, the God who put everything together with the breath of his mouth, who is all-knowing, super intelligent, all-loving, all-powerful, what if he wants to talk to you? I mean, wouldn't that be something important? Wouldn't that be something worth hearing? But sometimes, I don't know, it seems like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm tuned into the wrong station. Or sometimes it feels like there's guck in my ears. Or, or sometimes I feel like I've turned down the volume on God for my own purposes. Well, this morning, I, I want to talk about hearing God. And, and to do that, we're going to dive into this story of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And, and you might not know who Samuel was. He's, he's a pretty important figure in the Old Testament. Uh, he was the one guy who God used to establish the monarchy in Israel through Saul and then later through David. Uh, he was also really unique because Samuel was a triple threat man of God. Not only was he a priest, he was also a prophet, and he was also a judge. There was nobody else other than Jesus who, who, who wore this mantle. And God had his uh, hand on Samuel's life from a very, very early age. As a matter of fact, before he was born, you might know the story. His mother Hannah was barren. She couldn't have children. So she vowed that if the Lord would provide her with a child, she would give her son into the Lord's service. And of course, God answered her prayer. So she, she went to the temple uh, and Samuel entered into service in the temple, serving under a priest, the priest there, whose name was Eli. 
And, and very early on, it seems like there was something very, very special about Samuel. Uh, you read about this in the first couple chapters of, of 1 Samuel, where it says that even as a boy, he grew in favor with God and with people. So there was a special connection he had with God, but there's also something unique about Samuel that everybody seemed to recognize. He was no ordinary boy. So we're going to pick up Samuel's story from his early years in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I'll just start reading at verse 1, and we'll just follow along together. So now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. You know, I, I love how a 3,000-year-old text does such a great job of just, just setting this scene for us. Uh, it says that the lamp of God had not gone yet, yet gone out. So that means that this was like the early hours before dawn. It's still pitch black. It's the late, late, late of night. And Samuel is laying down in a bed, and his bed is not far off from the ark of God. Well, what's the ark of God? Well, that's, that's important because the ark was where, where the, the presence of God hovered. It was that thin place between heaven and earth. I mean, there was no other place, no geographical point on earth other than this, where God chose to intersect himself with humanity. This was a very sacred place. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. All right, so, so Samuel starts hearing voices in the night. It's like an episode of Stranger Things, right? He thinks that Eli's talking is to sleep again, goes to him, finds out he's wrong, right? Goes back to bed, it happens again, goes back to bed again. But notice what it says in verse 7. It says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. That's essentially prophet speak, which means that he hasn't received yet his calling as a prophet, as a man of God. So the boy hasn't grown up yet into his calling. So, of course, he doesn't recognize God's voice because he's not yet been established as a prophet. So, essentially, the Lord's calling Samuel, right? But Samuel keeps calling up, hanging up on him like wrong number, right? No, I don't need my furnace clean. No, thank you. I paid my taxes, right? Just don't call me back. Click, click, click. But they say, third time's a charm. So let's keep reading. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. All right, so it's third time. Eli figures out what's happening. So he starts to coach Samuel on what he should actually do when God speaks. And, and you know, and it's funny. I, I read this, and I just think to myself, what is going on in Samuel's mind at this time? Like, what's he feeling? Like, is he scared? Is he, is he excited? Is he, is he, like, confused? You know, think about that. Put yourself in his shoes. In, in the words of Dr. Seuss, what would you do if it happened to you? Well, let's find out. Let's read what happens. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, 
Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Wow, how's that for a first message from God when you're a little boy? <laughs> now, Eli's sons, if you know the story, the backstory, they, they were corrupt. And you can read all about that. If you just go back a chapter, First Samuel chapter 2, um, they took advantage of the fact that their dad was the priest. Uh, they bullied other priests. Uh, they helped themselves to the sacred offerings when they shouldn't have. And they also slept with some of the women who worked in the temple. Okay, not a, not a good set of guys, right? But Eli did very little to restrain him, restrain them. So, so he did confront them at one time, but he gave them no consequences absolutely for their actions. So he basically let his, let his kids run roughshod over everybody else. Um, and we don't really know why that was. I mean, maybe he was just a, a non-confrontational kind of guy, or, or maybe he wanted to be their, his kids' friends rather than be his kids' parents, or, or maybe he thought his kids were like the center of the universe, so he's like idolatry there going on with his kids. We don't know. Whatever his motivation, we know that there was a failure of nerve. And this was especially bad because Eli was the high priest. He was like the religious guy of all of Israel at that time. And with greater authority comes greater accountability. And of course, God wasn't, wasn't wanting to allow Eli's sons to inherit the position, right? That would be really, really bad for Israel if they did. So God had a plan, and his plan was to remove them, to take them out of the picture. And if you read 1 Samuel chapter 2, his plan was to raise up somebody else. And as it turns out, that somebody else was, in fact, Samuel, who was studying under Eli. So things basically, this, is, this was a prophecy that had no contingency. This was just stamp it, stamp it, no races. This is going to happen. They're, they're, it's beyond repentance. It's beyond repair. The damage has been done. This is going to be the consequence of what happens. And so things have gone too far and there's no turning back. All right, verse 15. Uh, Samuel lay until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. <laughs> you think, right? <laughs> but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May, may God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and, and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Well, Eli wasn't surprised. And he probably shouldn't have been because just previous to this, a, another prophet had told him pretty much the same, right? So you can read about that in chapter 2. But what I respect about Eli in this story, I respect his response when he hears from God. I mean, because this isn't good news. This is a bad message for him, right? But it, it shows his character. It shows his humility. He's not blame-shifting. He, he's not defensive. He admits that he's done wrong. He knows he's got to own his own stuff, and he does, and he accepts it. And he says, you know, it's what God's going to do is what God's going to do. I, I accept it. I, I get it. Now, then in the last verse, we, we want to hear, once again, hear a little bit of prophet speak. And essentially what that last verse is saying is that Samuel's prophetic ministry has now begun, and he begins to grow into this prophetic calling on his life. So, so what, do you, what do we learn from this story about hearing from God? 
Can I, can I suggest today three observations from this story? And, and I'll admit right at the get-go that, that these are almost basic, super simplistic observations that I'm going to share with you. But I really think we need to hear them again this morning. And because here's the thing, here's what I find. It, it, is, it is easy for us to acknowledge that these observations are true at face value, but many of us sometimes live as though they are not true. And so it's important, I think, sometimes for us to hear it again and again so that we can follow in practice and, and live out what we actually believe. So this morning, I am going to remind you of what you already know. Three observations. Here's the first one. God is knowable. God is knowable. Uh, what's clear from this story, what's clear from the rest of Scripture, is that God is in fact a person. He thinks. He feels. He acts. He knows. He loves. These are all the attributes of personhood. So, so, so God is not simply an idea. God is not simply a mystical force that lives in everything and is everything. God is not some brilliant watchmaker who had kind of showed up, created the universe, wound it up, and decided he was going to walk away and wander off into oblivion. God is knowable. And this is why Paul the Apostle would write this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Here's what he says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So, so Paul is saying, listen, God is knowable. And not only that, that, that there's nothing better in all the world in knowing God. There's, not, there's nothing better, that, not all the money in the world, not all the acclaim in the world, not all the power in the world. Nothing compares to the greatness of actually knowing this God who is knowable. Now, now, I think it's important to be clear. There are different types of knowing. So the type of knowing that most of us are familiar with is what we might call factual knowing. So factual knowing is it's about numbers and facts, observable data, quantifying, measuring, right? And, and this idea of knowing, we basically inherited from the Enlightenment, okay? It, 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 we drink it in like mother's milk from the time that we're bored, born. So the, so the idea of knowing is just about facts and knowledge, but you know, the idea of knowing in the biblical sense is, is something much different than that. It's, here it's talking about a personal knowing. See, personal knowing, is, it's more relational. It's more about connectedness and friendship and, and, and intimacy. Factual knowing and personal knowing, uh, while they're interconnected, okay, they are interconnected, they are not necessarily the same thing. So, you might not know how many calories are in Dwayne The Rock Johnson's daily meal plan. You, actually, you may know. You may know how many calories that guy eats on a regular day. Look it up. It's huge. You might know that data, but you might not know what Dwayne The Rock Johnson is feeling in his heart of hearts. You, husbands, you might not know what your wife's shoe size is, right? Oh, but you know. What you need to do to get her to throw that shoe at you, don't you? Right? There, there are two different types of knowing. And the biblical idea of knowing, it, it's more than just facts and figures and doctrines and theological categories. The biblical idea of knowing is personal. It is relational. So there are many people who know a lot about God, 
but they don't really know God. Well, how else do we know that God is personal? Well, it's actually, it's in the story. Did you notice that he called Samuel by name? Every single time he called him by name. He didn't say, hey, kid, come here. I got something to say to you. Get over here, right? No, every time it's Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Did you know that if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that he knows you by name? Jesus said that in John chapter 10 and verse 3. Do you know that according to Isaiah, your name is written on his hands? That according to the gospel of Luke, that your name is written in heaven? That John says in the book of Revelation that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have a name, and God knows your name, and God calls you by name. Because our God is personal. Our God is knowable. You can know him. Well, here's a second observation. God is persistent. You know, did you notice in this story that, that God just didn't give up on Samuel? It wasn't like he's going to call him once and now he didn't listen. Okay, I'm going on to the next guy. Where's another temple where I can get another kid? Okay, it wasn't like that. He called him again and he called him again. He called him four times in the story until finally Samuel picked up. And what this speaks to is it speaks to God's persistence. And, and that's the thing about God. And you find this in all of scripture is that God pursues us. He is persistent in this. He's initiating. He's calling. He's chasing us down. And he does this because God ultimately wants to have a relationship with us. You know, I think many of us know what it's like to have a one-sided relationship with somebody. You know, you maybe have a friend or you have a family member where you're always reaching out to them, but they're not reaching back to you. You text them. You poke them on Facebook, although that's creepy. Uh, you do all sorts of things to try and get their attention. Anniversaries, birthdays, you, you remember that. Congratulations for your graduation, whatever. But they just don't seem to reciprocate in that relationship. It feels like you're always the one who's initiating. You're always the one putting in the effort, and they never reach back out to you. It, it can be disappointing, right? I mean, it can be heartbreaking. Well, God doesn't want to have a one-sided relationship with us. He wants us to pursue him just as he's pursuing us. That's what it means to be in a relationship with somebody. God is persistent in his pursuit. Here's the third observation. God is speaking. So God is knowable. God is pursuing us and persistent. God is speaking. Now, I, I get it. You might be thinking this morning, well, okay, yeah, Rob, listen, God spoke to Samuel, right? But that's Samuel. Samuel is a prophet. Right? Samuel was special. Why should I think that God actually speaks to me in this way? Well, to answer that question is, the, well, the answer is Jesus. Jesus himself said it. John chapter 10, verse 27. Here's what it says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So, so who's Jesus referring to here? Well, he's, he's, he's referring to his flock. He's referring to those he knows, right? His followers. You notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, my pastors hear my voice, and I listen. He didn't say, my prophets hear my voice. He didn't say, my super spiritual people who've been following me like forever, they hear my voice. No, what does he say? He says, my sheep hear my voice. Who are his sheep? Those who the good shepherd has laid his life down for. His followers. You, me, those who are part of the body of Christ. We are his sheep. And what this means then is that Jesus has a voice. He's speaking, and you can hear him. But the question is, are we listening? 
Now, I realize that, that many of us must struggle uh, with hearing from God. I mean, one of the reasons might be, could be, uh, is that we tend to do all of the talking. Um, in many ways, it's, it's almost like we have a voice, a relationship with a voicemail or with an answering machine for those who are a little bit older. Um, so it's like we dial up the number for heaven, and when we think God is listening, then we just kind of unload all of our thoughts, all of our needs, all of our feelings. Like, dear God, thanks for listening. Uh, I would really like a llama and world peace and a peloton. Uh, help me not drive ridiculously bad on the hen day, and uh, don't let me tell off my boss today. Amen. Boom. And then we hang up. And that's our relationship with God. We don't actually give God a chance to respond. We don't actually take the time to listen to what God is actually saying to us. Uh, so maybe we need to take to heart God's words in Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. He says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God wants us to call out to him, but God wants to answer back. God wants to tell us stuff. So are we listening to God, or are we just talking to God? Now, some of you might wonder this question. Well, can I actually hear from God? Uh, and that's a legitimate question. Um, yeah, you know, I think most of us, probably 99.9% .9 of us, will never hear an audible voice like Samuel heard at, at some point in our life. But you might be surprised at how many times God has actually spoken to you in your life today. Uh, Brad Jerzyk, he wrote a great book uh, a number of years ago. The book's called Can You Hear Me? And it's a book about, well, hearing from God. And he suggests that God uh, actually communicates to us more often than we actually think. Um, so he, he suggests that each and every one of us do, does a listening survey. And his listening survey is, is basically a list of questions that we can walk through to determine when and how God has spoken to us in the past. So I'd like us to do that this morning. I'd like us to just quickly walk through those questions that Jerzyk asks us in his book about hearing God. Here's the first question. Has God ever invited you into his family? So most of you can remember a moment or moments that sparked your relationship with God. And I don't know what that was. Maybe you sensed the deep soul's thirst. Maybe you felt this like weight of conviction or, or maybe there was like a, a silent call in your heart. But that was your introduction to the voice of God. Second question, have you ever heard God through Scripture? Well, as it turns out, Scripture is, is God's primary way to communicate to humanity, right? It's His special revelation that reveals to us His character and His will and His plans and His purposes, right? So, so of course, you're going to hear from God that way, but maybe there was a time you read the Bible, and, and it was like the words just jumped out of the, off the page at you. It's like the Holy Spirit just grabbed the highlighter and went across the page, right? And then shone a spotlight on your heart and said, okay, you guys need to talk, right? So maybe that's what happened in you, your life, God speaking to you. Number three. Has God ever spoken to your heart through a preacher or a teacher? You know, sometimes you'll hear a sermon and, and it feels like you're the only one in the room. Like God built a tunnel from himself to you. It's like God is speaking directly to you. It's like the Trinity and Michael and Gabriel, they all got together and they set up a divine conspiracy and says, <laughs> I'm going to get that guy today, okay? And it's just because you're hearing the message. God is speaking to you. Here's the next one. Has God spoken to your heart through worship? Maybe it was a song. Or, or a litany, or maybe just silence. See, the thing about God is he can speak to us through music and art and metaphor, metaphor and he can touch our hearts in a way that, that mere theological propositions cannot. God speaks to us through these ways. Number five, does God ever address issues you need to make right with God or with others? You ever felt bad about something and had this nagging sense of conviction that you needed to make it right, and it just wouldn't go away? 
no matter how many bags of Doritos you ate. You know, this is actually pretty common for most of us because, you know, first of all, we all, we all kind of have this heightened sense of guilt, but also because we all have a conscience. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us through our conscience. And when our conscience is bugging us, it's like rubbing up against sandpaper, right? So God often speaks to us in this way. But number six, does God ever affirm areas where you truly please him? So there are also times when we, we can feel God's favor. And I think most of us, we end, tend to lean towards the whole guilt side of things. But, you know, God actually also communicates to us when we're, when we're doing the right thing. So we have this sense of peace and rightness about following God's will or, or about helping other people or walking in obedience, even when it's difficult. And something in our soul just feels at peace and just feels right. Seven, have you ever felt a strong urge to pray for someone? You ever been woken up in the middle of the night and someone's on your mind and you just can't shake it? Or have you ever have a burden you just out of nowhere and a person's name pops in your head and you're just like, I, I have to pray for this person, right? Or did you ever see something that just broke your heart and it just stuck with you for days? And then you're just like, your heart is broken for the things that break God's heart. Number eight, has God ever prompted you to encourage someone? Have you ever just had this overwhelming need that you need to talk to somebody about something? You know, maybe you needed to call them up or, or, or maybe you're sitting there and you're in a conversation with them and you just feel this, almost like this nudge that you need to say something. You need, you need to call them out on something or you need to encourage them or, or you just need to share the good news or bring good news into the conversation. God speaks to us in this way. Here's the thing, friends, is, is God speaks to us in so many different ways. And sometimes he whispers with a still, small voice. And other times he roars like the thunder over mighty waters. But God is speaking. And the question is, are we listening? Well, how do we do that? I mean, how, how, do, we, how do we hear more clearly? Can I suggest, suggest this morning three ingredients from the story that I think is going to help us a little bit with this? Um, and here's the first one. The first one is posture. Posture. You know, if we're going to hear God clearly, our hearts actually have to have the right posture. Um, did you notice what Samuel said? Do you remember what Samuel said? He said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That, that very phrase has a posture. First of all, it has a posture of listening. So it's like his ear is bent towards the Lord. He says, speak, Lord. I mean, when my, when my hearing was out and I couldn't hear very well, I did a lot of leaning, okay, in order to be able to hear people because I wanted to hear better. That's what, pa, that's what Samuel, Samuel was doing. He was leaning into God. He wanted to hear. But second, it was also a posture of humility. You know, he didn't say, speak, buddy, or speak, homeboy. I might hear you. No, he said, speak, Lord. Woo! For your servant, who is listening, all right? So there is a God, and I am not him. I understand who I am in relationship to God. That's humility. And if God is speaking, I better listen. So he had that. You know, it's hard to hear from God if you don't have the right posture. The, the wrong posture is like gucking your ears. And a bad posture includes things like pride or selfishness or apathy, or indifference. These sorts of things can be hindrances to hearing. Now, can God speak to you when you have guck in your ears? He sure can. He absolutely can, right? I'm a case in point. I was a hard-hearted individual, and God got my attention. God can do that. But God can speak to us much more clearly 
if we have the right posture. Second, second ingredient, place. It wasn't a coincidence that Eli sent Samuel back to bed. His bedroom was located in a good place. It was likely a private place, a quiet place where he could be in God's presence. I mean, he could have said, okay, just, sit, just talk to God right now and say, speak. No, he said, go back to bed and say this. You know, what I've learned over a lifetime of seeking God is, is, is that God is often found in places of quiet. God is found in stillness and in isolation. And in fact, if you read the scripture, the Bible's full of stories of people who encountered God in the wilderness. Moses, Elijah, Amos, to name a few. And, and these guys went to barren and lonely places and encountered God. I mean, this is, this is why Jesus himself would often go off to lonely places, to the wilderness, to be with his father. Because he was taking him away from the, just the disruption. It was removing him from the distraction. And here's the thing. If you want to hear from God, you need to ruthlessly eliminate distraction and hurry from your life. You have to try and create a place where you can experience solitude. An environment where there is no distraction, no phone, no social media, no interruptions. You know, for me, one of my morning practices is I just sit down in my room in silence. I, I, I try to do this before I pick up the phone, before I read, before I talk to people. It doesn't always work every single day, but I try to do this in the morning. I'll even set my alarm because my brain... It's like a thousand monkeys going on inside of my brain at one time. So I'll set my alarm for 15 minutes because I just want to move and get and do something, right? So I just sit there and I do nothing except drink my coffee. It's very necessary in the early hours of the morning. Um, now, I realize that those of you with busy households, you're looking at me like I've got a third eye. I get that, okay? Especially if you've got little children. Listen, I've been there. I understand. But let me just say, my encouragement to you is to get creative, so go on walks, take long showers, linger longer in the car, get up early, go to bed late. I don't know. Whatever it is, find a place and space to hear from God. Ruthlessly eliminate distraction and hurry from your life if you can. You know, in the journey course, I tell the story about Susanna Wesley. Um, and Susanna Wesley, of course, she's a famous figure in, in, in history because she had two famous sons, Jonathan Wesley and Charles Wesley, great hymn writer, great revivalist, evangelist, and theologian, some great kids. She had like 13 kids in a very small space, right? So for Susanna Wesley to find time for God was very, very difficult. What did she do? Well, when it was, when it was time for her to have quiet time with God, she would sit in her chair in the corner, she'd take her skirt up and put it over her head, no, her apron and put it over her head, not her skirt, sorry. I think I said skirt in the first gathering. That's awkward. No, apron. Uh, so she put her apron up over her head and that was code around the house. Mama's gonna be talking to God. Mama needs her quiet time and the hush fell over the home and she would spend time like that. That was her creative solution to finding time with God. And then when she was done, she'd put her apron back down. She'd go about doing her work. She had a busy home. She had a very busy life. Uh, she was a prolific reader. She was a teacher. She was brilliant. Um, but she also deeply valued her relationship with God, and she found a place to do that. Here's the last thing. Practice. Finally, learning to hear God's voice is something you learn to do. And to learn to do anything requires practice. So it is something that you actually get better at over time. And the more you practice hearing God's voice, the better you become at recognizing it. And I, listen, I wish there was an easy, quick and easy solution for hearing God's voice. I wish I could just give you a five-step program, and you take the program, and after that, boom, you hear God's voice forever, right? But there are no shortcuts. It is only something that happens through deliberate, intentional 
practice. And, and this is why at Crosspoint, we talk so much often about the spiritual disciplines, these spiritual rhythms in our lives of, of reading scripture, of prayer, of, of meditation, biblical meditation, of fasting. All of these practices we think are very important, gathering together in public worship. These are important ways that we practice hearing God and being in his presence. But let me say this. Your practices are only going to be as good as your posture. Because if, if you run the practices, but you don't have the right posture, it, everything's just going to eventually become dull routines, dry rituals, right? Because you're not anticipating to hear from God. You're not coming in humility before God and saying, God, speak to me, right? So in order to, for the practices to take off and to have uh, strength, you actually need to have the right posture. Now, if you're looking for practices, uh, today's sermon notes, we went above and beyond to put some practices in there to help you in your spiritual journey. And I encourage you to go there, thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes, and, and to download those. Or you could go on Realm, you can get them there. Um, because we, we really are believe that the spiritual disciplines and practices are, are just such an important part of our life in Christ and growing as disciples of Jesus. Um, and let me just say, I, you know... It's important that you hear me talking this morning. It's important that you hear the word of God read. But it's even more important that you actually put it into practice. And we read about this in the book of James. He says, you know, it's, the worst thing is you can be a dude that gets up in the morning, goes and looks in the mirror and realizes there's something wrong with his face, does nothing about it, walks away and just goes on with his life. When, when the word of God is, is before us and it speaks to us and we see a reflection of what needs to change, the wise person will say, I gotta change this. I gotta make a difference in my life. I gotta do something differently. And so my encouragement this morning is, is that what we hear, you know, we're talking about what you already know, but it's to put it into practice. And so I encourage you to take the notes, uh, to reflect on those. There's some reflection questions in there, but there's also some practices that you can begin uh, in your own spiritual journey. Well, let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you that you are pursuing us God, thank you that you know our name. You call us by name. God, thank you that we can know you. And I pray for myself and for all of us, Lord, that we would lean in. We would be attentive to your voice. We would be excited to know you more. And thank you, God, that you have made all of this possible through Christ Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, through his resurrection life, to the glorified life and our great and future hope. And in that, we thank you this morning and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real, 
and profound way this week.